And welcome to Out Left Field. I'm Mark Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Should be regional time this week, but it's not. We're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every community in the state of Mississippi, every county. Get your rates for your home, your auto, anything you could possibly need with your insurance at Farm Bureau, favorites.com. Charlie should be talking about uh, regional time right now. This was going to be one of those shows that, man, you could just talk about all the brackets going on. But I've seen where some of these people are putting brackets out of this is what would happen. This is what would have happened. i tell you what, I don't want to be negative in any way because I'm a very glass half full guy. I'm a very positive human being, mm-hmm. but I've about had enough of brackets. Yeah. I'm kind of bracketed out just to be honest with you. And I am particularly bracketed out of college baseball predictions based on just looking at the records in the early season, not taking into account what the SEC schedules were going to look like and the relative weight of those, not looking at the developing younger pitching, looking at the talent. Look, it's the reality even now in college baseball that some people are going to look at it at a 35,000-foot level. And when you do that, you come out with stupid brackets. So we should be at the time of championship time. This is always the fun time of year. It's just after Memorial Day. You you set the table. You have that lunch, that 11 o'clock bracket unveiling on Memorial Day. It was kind of lost this year. You're used to that time frame. Usually they have SEC meetings going on right now. It's a crazy time. We've talked about it. We've been without sports for a little bit of time now. Things beginning to open back up in the state of Mississippi a little bit and across the southeast. You've seen the SEC allowing volunteer workouts starting June the 8th. And so college campuses are about to pick up a little bit here in the next few weeks. Well, and as far as baseball goes, it's going to be interesting to see what picks up. We have not had things like the Cape Cod League being played this summer, which is really a rite of passage in college baseball, not taking place this summer. But what we may see are some leagues pop up in Mississippi and are seeing some leagues where some of those guys who may have gone to the Cape Cod League in years past are going to be playing in a Meridian or a Hattiesburg or perhaps in a a New Albany-type setting. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the way of summer baseball that not just the college age, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old age here pretty soon. I think we're going to crank it up pretty quick. Sims is 9. I think they're going to crank it up pretty quick. <laughs> get the arm ready. Huh? You get, it, get it going. We've been working in the bullpen of the backyard lately. Hey, in Major League Baseball, they're still trying to iron out everything they're going to do. We're going to try to get Jonathan Holder in the next couple of weeks and some of these Major League guys to talk about the, their thoughts of what could go on in the 2020 Major League season. And right now, Charlie, there is a lot of discontent. There's a a big chasm right now between the players and the owners in the Major Leagues. Shocking, isn't it, (laughs) that you would have labor discord in Major League Baseball? But that's where we find ourselves. And there's so many uncertainties with Major League Baseball. Number one, if they're going to play. And number two, under what conditions and what labor conditions they will play if they do. Will roster sizes be bigger? I think you could make a compelling argument for all the talk we've had about the size of college rosters next season. I think you could make a compelling argument that this would be a really good year for Major League Baseball 
to expand their rosters. Number one, you're probably not going to see minor league teams playing. Okay, so you're going to have some guys that need to be ready to go in case there's an injury and you don't have that farm system there to develop them. And second, think about pitching and go back to a guy like Jonathan Holder. Relief pitching is always important, but in a shortened season, do your starters have time to get their arms ready to throw deep into games? I don't know if they will. I think some extra pitching is going to be important this year, and I think those middle relief guys are going to be very valuable. So today on the show, coming up next, we'll talk to Trent and Torship in our look back segment at Bulldog History. He pitched at Mississippi State from 1983 to 1986. Big part of those teams from 83 to 86. That 83 team, really want to look at the postseason for that team because that team, really the way they ended 1983, really set the table for the mid-80s of Bulldog baseball. It did, and you go back and you think, obviously we all know Rafael Palmero, Will Clark, and Brantley, but if you look at that 85 team and you look at some of those guys who helped contribute to it having the success it did, you got to go a lot deeper than that if you want to have a winning team. And you see guys like Trenton Torsha, who's a freshman, Will McCraney, who gave Mississippi State some very viable innings on the mound, and you start to see the seeds being planted there for some of those bigger successes that you had in the years that followed. And then at the end of the show, we're going to talk to Todd Tillman, who just won The Voice on NBC. And so he'll talk about being a Mississippi State fan, coming and enjoying times on campus. May talk a little tailgating. Hey, may try to get him to sing the national anthem. That'd be a thing to do. Hey, he's the closest thing to an athletic champion we've had around here in quite, it's a, quite, quite a long time. So a show for you that coming up, Trenton Torsha, then Todd Tillman later in the show. Once again, if you're – Thinking about anything with your insurance, go to favorites.com. Go get some rates from Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our look back segment, Bulldog History, brought to you by our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, Country Meat Packers, Highway 49 down in Florence. Go by and see Henry Cooper and the gang. And we'll go now to Florida, South Florida, where Trent and Torsha joins us. Played at Mississippi State, pitched for the Bulldogs from 1983 to 1986. Trent, uh, appreciate you hanging out with me and Charlie a little bit. I was excited to do it. This is going to be fun, I think. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And. You know, when we look back at that 1983 team, there are so many people who want to talk about some of those big names. And of course, you know, young careers for a Rafael Palmero and a Will Clark and, of course, a Dan Van Cleve. And one of the guys I really wanted to talk about, when you start talking to some of our more seasoned fans, I don't want to call them older fans, but some of our more seasoned fans, they say, let me tell you, the guy that played shortstop in 1983, Bobby Parker, was as solid as a shortstop as you could possibly find. Where would you put Bobby Parker up against Bulldog shortstops of today? I mean, how would he hold his own as a shortstop? You know, it, it, it's really funny because back then, and they, I don't know if they still do it the same way, you had the um, you had tryouts. So it was one went during the day and then one went at night. And then everybody gets together, you know, we're in the, we're in the dorm, and they go, and I was the daytime and Parker was the night, the night guy, and they go, have you seen this guy Bobby Parker? We're like, no, because he was he went last night. We went during the day. He said he's got a cannon for starters. 
left-handed hitter. He was the dirtiest guy on the field when they got when he got done. He, and he, not only did he play the part, he looked the part because he had the sleeves going, and you know he had he had the chaw going, which you can't really <laughs> do so much anymore. But he but he had everything going on. I had the hat pulled down low. Great arm. He was really good at the plate. He was he was one of the most disciplined hitters on that team, and and where he hit in the lineup was this is what I've got to do. I've got to set the table, and, and that's exactly what he tried to do. I would rank him. I mean, gosh, the guys I played with in my four years, he, he was certainly the best. I, I would have to put him in the top five all time. You know, since because obviously I followed the program. You know, since since I left. And I mean, he was a stud. He ended up, I think he was drafted by the Astros, ended up playing a few years in the minor leagues and uh, just a gritty, gritty, hardcore player. Well, Trent, you may know this, and I think Charlie may have drafted you because we had a draft to start our show of the top players to play at Mississippi State from 1979 to now, or 1977. It was one of those. And the criteria was you could not have played a day in the major leagues. And I took Bobby Parker. And so I just wanted to make sure that Charlie could recognize at this moment that I made a really good pick. <laughs> you know what, Bart? I agree with you. You, <laughs> you made a good pick. It was solid. And uh, BP was – I mean, he, he was so much fun to play with because he brought it every single day to practice, and he was a gamer. It was it, it was great to see him go backhand in the 5-6 hole, plant his foot, and then just rifle it to first base. I mean – that was the the most fun, or I, I should say the most memorable experience I had with him. Well, I'm interested in the guy that I drafted off that 1983 team, who I think is one of the better outfielders Mississippi State's ever had. We talk a lot about the freshman year of Palmero, but there was a senior on that team, Brad Winkler, who was a pretty good ball player himself. Wink was fantastic. And, you know, the, probably the best quality about him is he embraced the young guys coming in. He was he was one of the captains. I think he was a fifth year senior. I said, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And we looked at him and and first of all, I went on campus as an eighteen year old. And I'm like, man, these are grown men. He was like 22, 23 years old. And I'm going, man, these guys are like have facial hair and all this stuff. It's, it was kind of bizarre. And he took us under his wing and taught us the Mississippi State way. It says, this is how it's going to happen, fellas. And you're either on board or you're not on board. And if you're not on board, take the other train on the way out of town. So that was a great choice, Charlie. And we're talking with Trent and Torsha pitched at State in uh, 1983 to 1986. And Trent, uh, we we had some great teams, late 70s, and then you had the 81 team that went to the College World Series. But then all of a sudden you get to the mid-80s and everybody talks about you know that 85 team, the 84 team that was you know, essentially a grand slam away from going to the College World Series. But that 83 team really kind of set the tone, it seemed, for the rest of that decade. And looking back, you talk about a senior like Winkler. You talk about Mike Bradford. You had a lot of seniors on that team that really set the table to kind of allow you guys to go into that that golden era right there in the mid-'80s. No, and they did. And, you know, don't forget about Pete White. He was a second baseman. Oh, yeah. You had Chris Maloney was playing first base and, you know, until Will sort of took over. But what these guys did, I mean, they said, here's the deal. You don't have time to learn. You don't have time to ramp yourself up. 
it's giddy up time. And they did it. And I remember I, I was the, the closer that year. And I'm like, man, I've never pitched a relief in my life. And they said, well, you got to figure it out. You got to get ready to you got to get ready in eight minutes versus, you know, 20 minutes or whatever it takes a, a starter to get ready. But what they didn't do is treat us with disrespect. And I think that, to your point, that's what set the tone for, all right, man, we've got people that are showing us the way. What we have to do is go deliver what they're asking us to deliver. Then you add in the, we have some junior college transfers that come in how do they fit into the mix and it was just the camaraderie was this is mississippi state baseball and that's what we were able to do as we moved through certainly through my four years and then brantley had you know two years after that there's guys like that that said listen we looked up to these guys they showed us the way now we're passing the baton couple of guys on the mound on that team that were older players, those senior-type players. Got a guy, a fellow lefty, Hans Herzog. And you think of Robin Jeter. I'm interested in your memories of a guy like Herzog. Hansie was great. I mean, he was actually um, – a couple times I roomed with him on the road. Very quiet guy. He was from Maryland. And he just was – he went out and did his business. And he actually started that first game against Texas in the 83 Regional which we might get get to in a minute, but it's Zog. I mean, it was like, Zog's like, when he spoke, people listened, kind of like EF Hunt, you know, for the older people, I guess. But for the more seasoned people, Bart. So, <laughs> it, the, uh, it, it, and Zog was like, he, man, a few words, but when he spoke, you know, like, yeah, dude, I hear what you're saying. And he he, he was good. I mean, he was, just, he was steady. He pounded the strike zone. He got ground balls, had a little bit of sink. And, I mean, he was our ace that year. We're talking with Trent and Torship. Let's talk about those regionals, the regional, the SEC tournament. When we come back right here on Out of Left Field, you've been listening to a look-back segment brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Back with more with Trent and Torship right after this on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bar Gregory, Charlie Winfield, joined by Trent and Torsha, pitched at State 1983-1986. And, Trent, we're talking about some of those great players, the pitchers, the guys in the field, mix of youth, mix of veterans, that 1983 team. Then you set the table, you get to the SEC tournament. That was one of the things, looking back at that, that 1983 team, that was a team that won 42 games. But when you got the SEC tournament play, it was almost like another switch flipped. and You lost the first game of the SEC tournament, 20-11 to 11 to Tennessee, but then able to bounce back, get deep into that tournament. Yeah, and you know, who I think we needed Alan Cockrell, I think we made a name for him that year because I, I, I think that, that game that they put 20 on us, I, he hit at least two home runs. He might have hit three. And he was, you remember, he was the quarterback at Tennessee back then. Yep. And he was like, okay, so he's a baseball player. So we're, and I'm like, well, he's really a football player. Well, no, he was actually a pretty good hitter, too. Became a major league hitting coach. He did. And it, it, it was a big surprise to us. And it was kind of a thump in the head where you go, okay. <laughs> and then we did, then we do fight our way back but we don't win it, you know, because the whole thing was, like everybody says, they go, you want to win the SEC first. And then, of course, you, you want to go to the College World Series. But 
when we lost, Coach Polk said, I don't know, guys. I don't think we're going to host. I've talked, you know, I've been talking to the NCAA. We're probably going to have to go somewhere. And we ended up going to Austin, Texas. Now, back then, they did two 16 regionals, and the rest were 14. So we ended up in a 16 regional in Austin, Texas. And a guy named Calvin Chirold and a guy named Roger Clemens and a guy named Bruce Ruffin. And I mean, it did you know, the cast of people goes on and on and on. And that was tough. I mean, we're like, why do we have to go here? Not that we weren't confident that we could go out there and win, but it just didn't make sense based on the year we had and based on, you know, the Mississippi State baseball program having the ability to draw large crowds because a lot of that was based on that. It's like, well, I think Austin draws some pretty good crowds too. And uh, that's where we ended up. Well, you look at that Texas team in 1983, ultimately wins the College World Series. And whereas when I think of Alabama in the SEC tournament, I think of Dave Magadan. When I think of Texas in 83, I think about the guys on the mound. You mentioned one of them. You had Calvin Chiraldi. Uh, you had Roger Clemens. You had Bruce Ruffin, Mike Capel. I mean, I think they had five guys from that staff make it to the major leagues. And, well, that was a, a team that could really pitch it. And they could pitch it, and actually they could they could bang a little bit too. Now I will share an interesting tidbit with you guys. We beat Alabama five out of eight times that year because that's when you did the three on the road, three at home thing, and then we played them in the in, in the SEC tournament, and they ended up eliminating us in the final, I believe in the championship game. Magan gets the the hit. Of course, he he only hit five thirty five that year. By the way, only and. <laughs> Yeah, and then he goes to the College World Series, and he's eight for his first eight at-bats, which was a record back then. It's like, this guy can rake a little bit. So we um, And we knew that going into the season. I remember Pat McMahon talking about how good this guy Dave Magadan was. And like, I mean, I was, I'm a freshman going, I don't even know who the guy is because I'm, you know, I'm, from, I'm from Miami. This guy's from – he plays at Alabama. And you didn't have the coverage, the TV coverage that you, that you have now um but he ended up beating us on like a little what he did a little patented soft lofted fly ball to left center field because we put the total shift on them and uh and so they go on and they ended up finishing second but i will tell you guys this they interviewed texas players and they said who's the best team you played all year long and they said mississippi state let's talk about kind of getting out to that regional game one uh, is a ball game. I think Jeff Brantley started that first game. You beat Tulane four to two, and then come back and you've got that matchup with with the home team there, the host team in Texas, six to two. And I think you mentioned that's the one where Herzog got the win against Texas, and all of a sudden we're two and zero. Oh. We're two and zero, oh and thinking. I think we ended up. I think we drew Pan American next. Yeah, that's right. Beat Texas Pan Am seven to five and put yourself into the championship uh, of the regional. And I'm telling you right now, Charlie, Texas has to beat us twice, and there was not one person in that dugout that thought it could be done. And, and so then you look at the last two games, Texas comes back, able to win at home and win those two. What are the things you really take? We're talking with Trenton Torsha, who pitched at Mississippi State from 1983 to 1986, and that was that freshman year. What do you take from that regional? Because that was it was almost like a, a turning point. Because I know you guys had a great year that year, had a good record, but 
playing against a team that eventually won the national championship, playing at their place, was was that kind of a, a moment that, that you really built on? Yeah, absolutely, because it was, well, number one, it was heartbreaking, right? You sit there and you go, man, I, 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 I can tell you this story because it's sort of funny, but it's sort of sad. And we're walking off the bus, we're walking to the field, and Mike Bradford, Braddy's carrying the bucket of balls, and one of the fans goes, hey, throw us a baseball. And he goes, no, we're going to need him for Omaha. And we, you know, so we get in the dugout, and we're like, let's get ready to go, man. Let's go to Omaha. And I, I, I think his first name was Scott, but a guy named Scott LeBay comes out, and we get shut out for the first time all season. And this guy wasn't even the part of the major league guys that you all had mentioned. So from that point, it was like, all right, it's time to pass the baton because the older kids are out. But we had, it was a, it, it was a very young team that became the core. So now we're going into the next year. You got Brantley, Palmero, Clark, you got, you know, Bobby Parker's coming back. And so DVC, Van Cleve, and who became our leader. And you go, I think we're pretty good, and I think that we've got the nucleus, and I think we get it because we learn from the Winklers and the Pete Bites and the Bradfords of the world, and that made us say, you know what, we've got another step to take here. And so to your point, Bart, yeah, I think that that was definitely a stepping stone for us. Trent, your time as a player at Mississippi State, you come in in 83 as a freshman, lead the team in appearances, they're pitching 28 games that year, all of them in relief. And then as your career progresses, you start to get more starts on the mound kind of each year to your final year. I think all your appearances uh, were starts in 86. Kind of what was the process of that transition? And, and, and talk about the relationship you have with Pat McMahon kind of is throughout your time as a pitcher. So Pat McMahon, is, I, I respect him as much as anybody in the game. and. Fellow lefty, he, he, he was tough, but he was fair. And I, I mean, I can, and, and I, I see him once a year now because the McMahon family comes to St. Augustine, Florida. I live in Jacksonville now, and it's like 30 minutes away. And I'm like, I, I got to go see Patty Mack. And I go see him, and we tell old stories and we laugh. God was tough, man. I mean, he challenged you. And my freshman year, the thing they liked the most is I was a bounce back guy. So when Polk saw me pitching the, the high school Florida State All-Star game, I started the first game and I went three innings, which was the match you could go, and we ended up winning. And I can tell you the guys we played against, that would make you laugh, but we can save that for another day But because they were good. And then the next day, I came in relief and got to save, and Polky was there. And it's really it was the first time he'd ever seen me pitch because Miami was all over me. And then they were telling him that this guy's pretty good. He kind of wants – he doesn't really want to stay in Miami. And and, and and Polky got over it. And then he said, well, you're a bounce-back guy. You can go a couple days in a row. And I'm like, yeah. And we went through the fall and did what we did. And then they – you know how Polky stack rank by coaches and by players, pitchers and position players, you know, what, what the team thought of where they, everybody landed. And I actually landed in the top three, but he goes, now nah, we're going to use him as the closer because I could pitch three days in a row if I had to. Um, now, that was an adjustment. And, and, oh, by the way, pitching in the SEC is a little bit different than pitching in high school baseball. So it was like, 
these guys are, man, everybody is like a, be a bats or just quality at bats for the most part. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. It was a little bit of an adjustment. And then my sophomore year, I did both. Junior year, um, I had some arm problems early on. And then I was primarily a reliever then. And then my senior year, I was our, our number one starter. And I think I had 19 starts that year. And, and, and that's all I did. And then I ended up leaving with, had the record for appearances in a career as well as single season. I think it was 108 or something like that. Trent, we're talking to Trent and Torsha before we uh, turn you loose. You mentioned not being able to grow up and watch Dave Maggot and, and play in the 1980s. Now, all of a sudden, you know, every game's telecast on the SEC Network Plus. How does that allow you guys, as former players, to stay engaged with the program? Does that allow you to – because you're always tweeting me and Charlie when we're broadcasting ball games, which is great. We love it. And we want you to continue to do it. But to me, that's one of the great things about – the advent of the SEC Plus, where every game is streamed, every game is, is televised, is it allows people who were a part of the program and involved in the program to get re-engaged more with the program? No, there's no question about it. And the other thing it's done is it's raised the level of excitement for college softball as well. I mean, if you start looking at that and you go, okay, it's right there for you. And every weekend and go, you know, if you look at social media and you're like, okay, what are we on? Are we on SEC Network? Are we on SEC Plus? We know we're going to be on TV. I mean, that's that heightened awareness, I, in my opinion, has brought the game to a higher level that, that was already at sort of a higher level. Um, you know, since they go, well, everybody look forward to the College World Series. Well, now you can watch Arkansas play Mississippi State in a three-game series. And it's been, it's unbelievable. I, I kind of wish, well, I sort of wish we had social media back then. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe not so much, but, uh, yeah. So I have to tell you guys this, somebody hit me up on Twitter about the 85 lava, the lava rock. Oh yes. Saga. I saw this. I, I've got to admit to ask you about that. Now, the idea, 1985, Mississippi State took a trip out to Hawaii and played out there before coming back. Last no-hitter, 1985, Gene Hawaii Morgan. Hawaii Hilo. Gene, Gene Morgan. Morgan. Yep. Yeah. And so on Twitter this week, somebody had put a picture of a shirt from that trip of the Mississippi State going to Hawaii trip in 1985, and I saw an exchange with you asking about the lava figure and what it may have to do with the visitors' dugout, you'll have to connect the dots from there for us. Well, I'll, so I'll connect the dots. However, I have to give credit to Joe, my dear, because I didn't really want to answer the question. They said, is, was, the question was, is the lava rock thing true about the visitors' dugout? And I'm like, hey, Charlie, for 24 hours, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I've got to contemplate how I'm going to answer this thing. <laughs> and, then, and then Joe steps it and said, Oh yeah, I brought back the 35 millimeter camera things, you know, which today you're not going to get the security with what happened back then. I would, I wouldn't think. And yes, we stole them. Can I say that? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Statue of limitations is gone by well, now. Okay. So they were removed from Hawaii <laughs> and they came back to Starkville and then we carried them on the road with us. So what you're saying is 
some players have stolen chairs. Like you know, when you, when you go to the College World Series, some, sometimes if, if it has College World Series written on it, you may have a guy that, that takes a banner, that takes a chair. You guys went all the way to Hawaii, and you stole some rocks. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and actually some <laughs> dust, too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Trent, hey, we enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us, man. And uh, don't be a stranger. Look forward to seeing you back on campus. And by the way, you can Absolutely. catch Trent. And by the way, you can catch Trent, College Sports Today, on YouTube and on Facebook. So look out for him there. And we've watched that several times here. We get a lot of our stuff from those guys down in the uh, St. Augustine area. Trent, we enjoyed it, man. Absolutely. Let's do it again soon. Trent and Torsham pitched at Mississippi State 1983-1986. to 1986. Here's the thing, Charlie. You never have to wonder what Trent and Torsha is thinking because he will tell you on Twitter. He'll tell you on the radio. That's one of the reasons we love him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Trent and Torsha really continues one of the themes that we've talked about, and that is how close to the program and how interested in the program and the love for the program that these former Mississippi State players have. This is a guy who is engaged with Mississippi State baseball today, just as much as he was in 1988-89, right after he left. You know, that regional in 1983 and going to Austin, Texas, and how tough of a draw that was. If you had social media today, and he mentioned social media just a moment ago, if you had social media today, the entire SEC media would be talking about how Mississippi State got completely nailed to the wall by sending them to Texas in a six-team regional that was before social media. That was probably a good thing because, let me tell you, that was really not a good thing. So all of a sudden, you're out there. You're playing against the team that eventually won the national championship. You said it. They had five guys that pitched in the big leagues. But going out there and you had the table set, you won the first three games of that regional, and then Texas able to come back, got the big shutout, got the momentum back, able to go to the College World Series and eventually win it. And you look at that Texas team, I think they had like nine guys go to the major leagues. Calvin Chiraldi was kind of central in that 1986 World Series. Actually got the loss in game six and seven of the World Series that year. But you go back, Roger Clemens, obviously we could do an entire show on the life and times and tribulations of one (laughs) Roger Clemens. Uh, But a lot of big-time players, Billy Bates was on that team. You had a lot. You had talent all over the field. Cliff Gustafson was a a legend in yes. college baseball, and that team, by the way, ended the year sixty six and fourteen. You go back and you look. The last two teams that Mississippi State lost to that year, Texas, who won the College World Series, and Alabama, and Dave Magadan, who was the runner up. So that was fun. It was good. Always good to talk with Trent and Torship. And now coming up next, we appreciate him for our look back segment this week. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a a guy that's a little bit out of the sports genre. You know, a few months ago, we talked to Hardy, singer-songwriter from Philadelphia, and he clued us in on the music industry through the COVID-19 pandemic. But now, a guy that had success recently in the music world, Todd Tillman, who won The Voice on NBC, is going to join us from Meridian, Mississippi, lives in Meridian. I really can't wait to talk to Todd about the path that he took going all the way from the start of the voice. I want to ask him just about how he got through the entire thing and he ends up winning it. All right, let's do this real quick. Top Mississippi state athlete to come from Meridian. Does it have to be Meridian proper or can it be Lauderdale County? 
Are we talking about city limits? You've got to lay out a, little, a few ground rules here. Okay, we'll go expansive. If you need to get out to Tombsuba or something like that, we'll give you Lauderdale County. Well, I mean, you had Jeremy Jackson. You had Jody Hurst. Those guys were at West Lauderdale. Those were your some, some baseball guys. From a football standpoint, we had Tyler Russell, Chris Smith, but you know who else you had? Shorty McWilliams. Shorty McWilliams. He'd have to be number one. Shorty McWilliams, what, four-time? Yeah. First-team All-SEC football player. He's the, on the stadium now. So, Todd Tillman. We'll talk to Todd. Let's ask him a question about Shorty McWilliams. All of that coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest farm-raised catfish in America. And each week we take a look at places where you can get some great Heartland Catfish. Well, Charlie, one of my favorite places in the world is heading over to Lake Martin, you know, southeast of Birmingham. We'll go fish, sometimes ski. Bet you'd love to see that. And I know a lot of people around here love to go to Lake Martin as well. And I always go down to Opelika. There's this place. It's called Jim Bob's Chicken Fingers. And while their chicken is good, they have awesome catfish plates. And they get it from Heartland Catfish. So the next time you're at Lake Martin or you're watching the Bulldogs play on the road over at Auburn, make sure you go by Jim Bob's Chicken Fingers and get some great Heartland Catfish. And let's go back to the guest line. Todd Tillman, the winner of The Voice on NBC, joining us now from Meridian. And, well, Todd, I tell you what, man, it's been crazy over the past couple of weeks. I know in my household, yeah. we've been sitting kind of on the edge of the couch. Uh, just uh, it's not like watching the ball game. This is the only ball games we've had in the past few months is, is watching you on The Voice. Yeah, man, it's been pretty crazy for us, too. We, we stayed pretty nervous the whole time ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> now, we are a Mississippi State show, and yeah. you're a Mississippi State fan, and that's one of the things we kept on yeah, hearing throughout, absolutely the, we are. throughout the show. And So how often do you get a chance to get up this way? I mean, do you have any special Mississippi State memories, former players that really stand out to you? Oh, my gosh, man. We, we come up there for at least a couple of games a year, sometimes more, and we, we have friends that we like to tailgate with, at least the football games, you know. Um, my, my boys have, have been up there a bunch with friends of mine to the uh, baseball games and basketball games. I, I got a good friend of mine that's probably a bigger state fan than I am, Stacey Barr, and he, he takes my boys with him sometimes out that way. And, and, you know, through the years, of course, being from Meridian, we've always been big Tyler Russell fans, and then and then I don't know that there's a state fan in the world who's not a Dak Prescott fan. And so we're kind of player fans. So <laughs> wherever wherever Dak goes, that's our team. <laughs> Todd, obviously the, the winner of The Voice this year. And I'm curious, how do you even get started on a journey like The Voice? We remember you winning it. That just happened. But how does this journey yeah. even begin? Well, I'll tell you how it began for me was uh, I started trying to teach myself, and it has not gone well, by the way, <laughs> but I, I started trying to teach myself how to play piano, and the way that I did that was I just made little one-minute uh, Instagram videos playing different different songs. You know, I did some worship songs. I did like Cindy Lauper. I did Poison one time, you know, just different songs. I did Stevie Wonder, and a friend reached out and said, man, you should go try out for The Voice. Here's the information how to do that. And so I went and registered, but that was several months before I went. I actually went to Atlanta, Georgia to an open call audition there. And um, 
And so basically by the time the audition came around, I had made up my mind like not to go because we were, we just were so busy in life, you know, like just life. Oh, yeah. uh, and so my wife, man, she just, I mean, she likes to say she encouraged me, but I feel like it was a little more aggressive than that, you know? <laughs> uh, and so my, my wife really, really pushed me and, and, uh, at her nudging, I went to the audition and now that's been back last July, you know? And so little by little, you know, I kept getting one yes, and then another yes, and then another yes, and now finally here I am. <laughs> and, and then you get get to the show, and that's the thing. And, and so many times when we talk to athletes, and you get to that point of you're on the big stage, you're finally making the big leagues, you're p- pitching, you know, in Yankee Stadium for the first time, right. and you you have all these emotions leading up to it. But when the lights come on, and I guess in your case, when the music starts, did it turn into just another song? No, you know, I, in a way, yeah. I, I think in a way there's always been like this like sense that this is something bigger, you know, at, at least the stage, you know, as far as like the, the audience is, is way more widespread and the, and the ramifications of this in my practical life are much bigger. But yeah, once the, once it, the music starts going, you just really you just really have to kind of dig in and, um, and, and try to connect to that song. And, and go for it because you know when you're a guy like me and I imagine I'm not super athletic I run and stuff I haven't even been doing that lately to the truth but uh but like I when you're a guy like me you do rely so heavily on the crowd you know like there's an energy from that crowd and so when we went remote uh I'm actually really thankful grateful for the lessons I learned man in the middle of that but it was a, it was tough because you got to just dig deep to to find that connection because you don't have the crowd energy Blake Shelton was your coach, and when I watch The yep. Voice and just watch TV in general, Blake Shelton just kind of seems like a, a guy that you could hang out with. Seems like a yeah. a nice guy. I'm wondering, is Blake how he seems? And then beyond that, kind of what led you to pick Blake? Was it a music style? What is Was it his success and getting other people to the championship? Kind of what yeah. led to that connection, and what's Blake Shelton like? Well, uh, you know, basically in order, I will say um, all of those coaches are really connected and very gifted and successful. So, honest to God, the the reason that I wanted to go with Blake, you know, they ask you, all these people ask you before you have a blind audition, who are you going to go with? But my my gut was I'm going to go with whoever turns around. You know, <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize like all four of them were going to turn around. But I, I really went in there thinking I hope that Blake turns around because of what you said. He's just a really relatable guy and um he doesn't take life too seriously but when it's time to be serious about the music he's he's serious about it and he's very uh very knowledgeable but also really complimentary and and so all of those things it was a i was thinking it would be a lot of fun and it was it turned out to be a lot of fun talking with todd tillman the winner of the voice on nbc Todd, you know what's next? I mean, you had you had soft rock songs. You you sang some contemporary Christian, country. I mean, yeah. do, do you have to make a decision based upon the show, or are you tied into any kind of tour with NBC? Kind of what's on what's next on the horizon for you? Well, honestly, what's next is um, right now. I, I, I'm going to take the connections that I made on the show. I kind of do have some direction that I'm going to go in. I really am. I'm a guy who's like, uh, I've got, I'm a, I'm a super like man of faith, but I also really want to, to reach even with my faith, uh, and, and also my music and hopefully they can kind of intertwine and, and intersect a lot. Um, 
I want to reach a large, larger market. And so, you know, there are guys out there like kind of like Craig Morgan, you know, who, who he's a, he's a country singer through and through, but you know, he's a man of faith, you know, when you listen to his music. And, and so I, I hopefully I can take that route. But the first thing I'm going to do is just learn from all of these connections that I made uh, because I'm a, I'm totally green. You know, I've just, I'm a regular guy. I grew up in Mississippi. You know, my brother, Chad, he's a, he's a huge, oh, yeah. my brother, Chad is the <laughs> biggest Mississippi state fan that li- ever lived. I think uh, and uh, and so we we grew up here, and my sister Holly, we grew up here, and so I and and not not that I love Mississippi. I'm actually everybody's like, oh, you put Mississippi on the map. I'm like, no, I didn't. Mississippi's been on the map. So many people put us on the map, you know. Uh, but I also don't know anything about the music industry. I've sang in church my entire life, so my next step is I'm going to rely on these people who do know to help me navigate the next step, you know. Well, so Todd, are you getting talks, people reaching out to you saying, hey, you need to move to Nashville, you need to move to Atlanta, people trying to pull you out of Mississippi? Yeah, I've gotten a whole lot of different little things. And right now, though, you know, the best way I can tell people when they ask is, I don't know. You know, I know that my life is changing drastically, uh, but I don't know the specifics of it. And I'm I'm just going to, you know, it's, it's a balance that I'm trying to make right now. I'm trying to balance really striking while the iron's hot, but also taking my time to make right decisions, you know? And that's a tough that's a tough balance to do. You know, this is an interesting time. We're talking with Todd Tillman, Meridian, Mississippi native and the winner of the voice. And it's an interesting time with the COVID nineteen going on and the social distancing right. and things of that nature. But when you're pulling over to get gas in Tumsuba. Uh, or you know, are you going down to Clarkdale? And I mean, is, is there any kind of difference? Are people sitting there saying, "Hey, that's is is it any oh, yeah. difference in your life now compared to what it was three months ago?" Yeah, I, it, man, it is. And I want to say, whoever's listening to this, I cannot appreciate that enough. Like everyone has been so great to me. I am so grateful for the way people have been. Like, well, you know, I I, I was at Sam's Club just a little bit earlier, and people are taking pictures of me out their car windows and honking. And I'm like, you know, I'm just like a regular guy. Like I sit on a lawn chair in my driveway, and people stop at the end of the driveway now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's just. Uh, it's insane, but in a good way. And I, I, so I just hope everyone knows they're not bothering me at all. I, they, the people who supported this are the whole reason that it's successful. So I, I love taking whatever pictures we can or all the things. I, I, I just appreciate it all. Todd, I have four kids. Yep. And, and so yep. anyway, uh, my, my oldest son thinks it's cool that we talk with athletes we talk to all the time my oldest daughter tonight said you're really talking to todd tillman that's the coolest thing ever <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> yeah. but hey listen yeah we appreciate you can you sing the national anthem we need to get you up here sometime to sing the national yeah. anthem that's yeah weird. man y'all get y'all get a hold on me and i will i would be happy to do it i would love it we, we need it we need to make that happen todd we let you get about yeah. your night and we appreciate you taking some time out oh man yeah i appreciate it so very much thank y'all so much for your time well, thanks, Todd. And that's Todd Tillman. Well, that's a guy that's had a whirlwind in the last couple of months. Oh, boy. You think his life's changed over the past few weeks? Oh, my goodness. You go from singing on stage on live TV, then all of a sudden they have to bring the cameras into your house, your church, and you have to sing in front of what you know are going to be millions of people looking through a lens. We do that every time we broadcast a baseball game, though, Charlie. So we know what that's like. When you turn the lights on, the camera comes on. A little bit different right there, though. Yeah, because we get to talk about other people. <laughs> He's got to take that <laughs> spotlight squarely on himself. And Todd has, what, eight kids? 
eight kids. I have that's twice as many as I've got. But I've always said, once you get past two, it's all zone defense anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Hey, look, there is nothing I am worse at, perhaps, than singing. But I would sing in front of a million people before I took just one day of trying to raise eight kids. Oh, my goodness. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Yeah, me too. So, for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.